I don't know how to evaluate cards. It's tough on the best of days, but like, yeah, where am I going to play these cards? I've been mostly evaluating it through like what cubes I can put it in. Yeah, because like standard doesn't exist and are cards actually good in alchemy or is it mostly just like the handful of playables and then the alchemy cards that are better than everything else? Like, right. Like, I'm sure alchemy will get events and stuff in historic, but. I don't know anything about that. Yeah. It just got a banning and no one's talked about it at all. I mean, I think the effect of this right now is very few cards matter at all. Because, like, there just aren't lower powered formats to play them in. Yeah. Hey everyone, welcome to episode 230 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Castorapple, with me is Lee McLeod. Hey Lee. Hi Chris, I'm glad you could get Simon off of you and join me for podcasting. He has spent all day following me from room to room so that he could sleep very close to me or on top of me, regardless of what I was doing, and just now has decided it's time to like run around the house frantically making noise so good good timing buddy i see lights popping on and off behind you i, I have to imagine that's simon's work uh yes so the laundry room has like a motion sensor light which he likes to set off by running through <laughs> the hallway at high speeds so probably shouldn't waste too much time since we've got 250 cards to talk about yeah the new set we were both looking forward to the set, I know. Mm -hmm. I was a lot more hesitant because it was really hard for me to see how they would do Kamigawa well. But this is really just like a Kaladesh set in disguise for me. <laughs> so I've been really enjoying the spoilers. <laughs> yeah, I haven't been paying... You know, I haven't been making sure to like see every single spoiler. I, I've, you know... Oh my god, he's slamming cabinet doors in the bathroom now <laughs> like I've, I've seen the ones that have come up and and gotten discussion but you know ones that haven't because like we got 250 cards spoiled in the last week so you know that's that's just a, a very fast pace of card previews so this pot we're recording this on tuesday right the first mm -hmm. I believe the full set is supposed to be spoiled by the end of for this Friday. Mm -hmm. And they start commander previews on Monday. I It is kind of nice that there's not overlap because that has been a source of confusion and annoyance in the past. So Yeah, they did that for the last two. And it's been really nice because you get the full spoiler out of the way. Mm -hmm. And then they just spend some time previewing commander cards when you already know that the set's good. Because what was the was it Strixhaven that had like the overlapping cards? It was really hard to tell which which cards were in the which set. I think it was like particularly bad with Strixhaven. It was just like constantly spoiling commander cards at the same time as actual. And it didn't hurt that like all the Strixhaven cards had so much text mm -hmm. that you couldn't gauge whether it was complicated because it was in Strixhaven or if it was complicated <laughs> because it was a commander card. Right, right, right. But we are only getting regular main set Kamigawa cards now. I guess we have like. Even if they do truncate the spoiler seasons like this, we still end up with, like, extra spoiler seasons because at some point the arena cards will come out. 
yeah I, I like the i'm looking forward to the new alchemy one i don't know how big that set will be because the last one was supposed to go up as two sets right 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 the innistrad one and it was 40 cards for two sets so maybe it'll be fewer 20 ish yeah we'll see yeah, we'll see how that goes yeah should we start on some spoilers where do you want to start well i get to pick where to start yeah, why not because i don't know where to start. yeah i mean neither do i i didn't really make <laughs> notes for this i just felt like we have so many cards we could talk about some do you want to start with the planeswalkers everyone loves planeswalkers yeah you know more or less impossible to evaluate unless they're broken or unplayable yeah basically it's it's the sound bites where you play it back a year from now and it's just all ridiculous well there was the one time you know when we were doing like how many cards will ccr buy as our format for the spoiler show and i bought three okos so you know only three really well and then i bought i now own seven so you know three is just a weird number it just see i i remember being i was on that show for eldraine and i remember being so reserved with oko because mm-hmm. i wasn't sure how good the plus one was i didn't know how well it would translate into late game it it just does though yeah like, it, yeah i mean it became quickly apparent didn't understand from just reading the card uh especially like how relevant it would be in a eternal format so you just had to play with it twice and then you were like oh okay i, I understand yeah. um but yeah which planeswalker do you want to start with so there's four in this set uh we already talked about kaito shizuki earlier on a previous episode that's the, the blue black one mm-hmm. uh you want to start with the wandering emperor so the Wandering Emperor is a two white white legendary planeswalker with no planeswalker type because we have no idea what her name is. Starts with three loyalty and has flash. And as long as she entered the battlefield this turn, you can activate her loyalty abilities anytime you could cast an instant. Our plus one, you put a plus one plus one counter on up to one target creature. That creature gains first strike until end of turn. Minus one makes a two two white samurai with vigilance. And her minus two exiles target tapped creature. You gain two life. So this is the first combat trick planeswalker. <laughs> yeah, and it's got a couple of combat tricks on it. You can flash in a blocker or a first, you know, a guided strike kind of thing or an exile and attacking creature. That, like all of these abilities are better on the opponent's turn, the turn you cast her. It makes it really weird, right? Because it feels like a lot of her oomph is in the flash combat trick portion and then the rest of her abilities like when you get to your turn Mm -hmm. it's kind of all right well here's a plus one plus one counter right like if you used her to kill a creature you can't make a token unless you want her to die so but i i still think this card's like pretty flexible Mm -hmm. mostly and she doesn't have a real ultimate but like her minus two exile tap creature you gain two life on a normal planeswalker i'd read kind of like piddly like you have to wait for them to attack you and they know it's there it's a... but on this one they attack you you can just play it as a removal spell mm-hmm. then untap and do stuff with your creatures yeah well yeah i mean i don't know how many it, it is kind of weird because like flash planeswalker especially fl- flash planeswalker with a removal spell attached like screams you know play me in a control deck but the first two abilities are so much like play me with as many other creatures in your deck as you possibly can. So yeah, I don't, I don't think this is a control deck card. I, I picture this more as like a, like a flexible option mm-hmm. for a mid range kind of deck. Yeah. Or maybe even a lower curve deck that wants to a little bit of top end. And it gives you like tools against the kinds of decks that are often, you know, the mid range deck 
versus the control deck. Like planeswalkers are generally pretty good against the control deck, and a flash planeswalker in particular can help you create openings that can be tough to create otherwise. I, yeah, I think generally speaking, her abilities are too low impact to really see a lot of play, mm-hmm. uh, and she'll just have like very hyper specific niches, but. Who knows how or when? Yeah, they'll ever Flash is come really up. good though, and on a planeswalker, it is really good. like on a planeswalker too. Even if you were not able to activate the abilities on their turn, like which obviously makes the card much better. But just inherently, a planeswalker that you can flash in and then untap and defend uh, is, you know, there's a lot to like about that. So the the thing is she's not like creating you know she doesn't draw a card every turn or anything like that that's not the value you're getting out of her so it's not quite this like protect the queen strategy that would a, a flash planeswalker with a draw card equivalent ability would lend itself to so it's it's not quite as abusable as some planeswalkers that you could tack flash on and be like wow this card is crazy but there's definitely stuff to work with here and flash on a planeswalker we've never seen before and i I think is pretty good i think my favorite part about this card is like the secret mode where you know you yori on it on your turn Mm. and then you can activate it during combat (laughs) 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 or stuff like that yori on doesn't work because it's not an instant flicker but you get what i'm saying right you can also just cast her during your turn like she's a combat Mm -hmm. trick in your combat step two not just your opponents so Obviously, a lot better on your opponent's turn. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, I mean, I don't know. And I don't even know what formats we're talking about. Because, like, I, I, you know, standard is, like, what? who is going to play standard? Does it exist? What is the I think we should remove standard from, like, until there's a lot of actual tournaments or events or actually just people playing standard at all. It should really just be alchemy and historic. Yeah, I guess. But I don't really know how to evaluate cards for alchemy either. Because that's true. the format doesn't really exist in a defined way yet. And also is always susceptible to like upheaval. Like we can just kind of talk about generic power level, but like I it's really annoying not truly being able to talk about things in context because like when i know what format we're talking about i can look at a card and be like this doesn't have a place in standard as it sits right now but if these things happen then that's what i would look out for i feel like i just don't have that kind of traction with alchemy i agree but i also think it's pretty easy to say that this card won't dent modern at all yeah i don't think it's good enough for pioneer that leaves either alchemy or historic right of those two if it doesn't see an alch- any play in alchemy, it's just not going to see play. Yeah, and but like, I don't think that's like useful because I can't give any input really into how some of these cards that are like on the line are, are difficult to evaluate. I I can't give like really strong like this has alchemy applicate because like I don't know, man. What's in the next alchemy set that's just gonna like upend it? Yeah, they put sanguine bond and. Townraiser Tyrant and Key to the Archive, and it's just like, well, you know, most of the the cards that even matter, (laughs) right? So, it it becomes difficult to evaluate because I don't have a feel for the the power level of Alchemy the way that I have a feel for the power level of Standard. So, I I agree with you, and I don't think that the Wandering Emperor 
I, I just struggle to find a place where it's generically good and, and it's not specific enough to be powerful in like a strategy like some of the sacrifice stuff would be or a dragon even mm-hmm. <laughs> like you can point to a card and be like this is an attribute that's good the wonder doesn't really have any of that a place this would be sick is a blue white flash deck so but do those those don't really exist in alchemy well or you know blue white tempo kind of deck right and i mean that that's the thing is like can that exist in alchemy maybe like oh boy dragons really prevents a deck like that from existing but maybe they have to nerf dragons more or something like that or maybe dragons isn't good anymore after the last nerf like it's so hard to make these evaluations but you know there there's tools there's a spectral adversary and stuff there's things encouraging you to play a deck like that well if i i know for sure that if the wandering ember ventured into the dungeon mm-hmm. it would see it would see playing (laughs) (laughs) or they'd buff it until it did yeah all right next card what do we want to talk about another planeswalker yeah tezzeret sure uh tezzeret betrayer flesh is a two uu four loyalty tezzeret planeswalker uh with a static of the first activated ability of an artifact you activate each turn costs two less to activate uh plus one is Thirst for Knowledge, draw two cards and discard two unless you discard an artifact. Is minus two is target artifact becomes an artifact creature. If it's not a vehicle, it becomes a 4-4. So that means vehicles keep their base stats, but everything else is a 4-4. Uh, then is minus six is you get an emblem with whenever an artifact you control becomes tapped, draw a card. Lots of shrugs over there. I, I don't know. It's just It's just a very weird card. A lot of the, like, what do we get out of the the static ability like that's an equip cost or a reconfigure reconfigure cost two off of that and so maybe the turn you play this you get like a discount on doing something like that but that's not really like doing something unless you're like in a format where you're equipping swords or whatever which this is not really relevant for i don't see this being great i guess I have more hope for this than the Wanderer, but yeah. I, I think it still has a similar problem where you want to be doing a really specific thing and I, you have to work for that thing. Like, this is a four mana card that's mostly an enabler. Mm-hmm. Uh, the activated ability thing, maybe there's something broken to do, but nothing comes to mind. I don't think discounting your equips is, is that relevant. Right. Well, I just don't think we have many other artifact activated abilities in, yeah. you know, alchemy slash standard. Which means mostly it's like a, a filtering card mm-hmm. that you want to be using the minus two for when it comes into play. Mm-hmm. And I don't know what kind of deck wants that. Yeah, I mean, I don't hate this card if you do want that. That like four mana comes down, makes something into a four four to block for it with. And then you have these, you know, draw two, discard two is like pretty fast at ripping through your deck. And when you do want to discard an artifact, you are going up on cards. We haven't had a lot of Planeswalkers that have been playable lately, so I guess the bar is a little bit lower for a, a permanent that can be a value engine like that. I, I think if you are if you can actually use the minus two, mm-hmm. and I'm thinking more historic than alchemy here, because there's, there's a lot of really neat artifacts in historic, sure. mostly from the MH2 slash jumpstart stuff. Yeah, unfortunately, Chromatic Sphere and not Chromatic Star, and I'd way rather use this ability on a Chromatic Star than a Chromatic Sphere. That's true, but there's also, like, Thought Monitor stuff. Mm-hmm. So you get rewarded just for playing a bunch of artifacts anyway. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I it could possibly do something in there. Those decks are really tight on 
kind of slot because you're so like pulled between like cheap bad artifacts to be your enablers and then the payoffs and you already have like you're already in a spot where your payoffs are so good and your cheap enablers are so bad and this doesn't really solve that sort of problem see luckily i think the kamigawa set has a bunch of cheap artifact enablers that are not that bad there's at least one or two that i am pretty excited about and it would be nice if this found a spot with some of those like the one i'm thinking of is moonsnare prototype same we'll we'll get to later or now whatever or now we're talking about artifact stuff yeah so moonsnare prototype is a blue artifact it just costs a single blue mana it's kind of like a spring leaf drum you can tap it and tap an untapped artifact or creature you control to add a colorless mana and it's got channel so you can pay four and a blue and discard it from your hand and the owner of target non-land permanent puts it on the top or bottom of its library. It's got the, the Aether Gust wording, so your opponent gets to choose. Or the owner gets to choose if you want to use it on your own thing for some reason. Yes. So not super powerful. It's definitely way more mana than you want to pay for that effect. But it's, you know, all it is is that's a buyout on your mana artifact. And that's a really nice option to have to swing yeah. a turn in your favor. Or if you hit something that costs five mana, then you feel great about it. The second spring leaf drum is usually the worst card you could possibly draw. <laughs> right, exactly. And Moonstar's prototype is is a pretty decent spring leaf drum impression. Yeah, like it it doesn't do the color fixing thing, which is a it, it is a really important aspect of spring leaf drum. Don't get me wrong, like the the fact that spring leaf drum is colorless and then makes any color you want is really important. Been a huge amount of its playability. But this card does the is a cheap artifact that isn't completely useless while also making your other useless artifacts useful because you can tap like a mistress bobble for this card yes instead of needing to play an ornithopter or midnight yes and and you if you are just trying to like make mana like in a deck that is trying to like get out urza a turn earlier or whatever you want way more mistress bobbles and ether spell bombs and stuff like that than you want memnites and ornithopters even, even for like Mim- uh, imri mm-hmm like, this is a good card with Emery. Not because you want to, like, play from the graveyard or anything, but it lets you use your mana much more efficiently. Yeah. Yeah. It does seem, like, very specifically costed and templated, so you, like, can't quite do the nuttiest stuff with it. Like, you can't turn, you can't play a turn one Emery with a Moonsnare prototype because you just don't have the blue mana. Like, you have to put blue mana into it, you get colorless out of it, and... Even with, like, Amisha's Bauble, you can't cast Emery with this. But that said, like, tapping an artifact is just way better than tapping a creature for this effect. And I I don't know, just, like, one mana artifacts that do a thing generally are something that, that you can easily find a place for. And just to point out, Springleaf Drum is not on Arena, so both alchemy and historic are now getting this like springleaf drum-esque card and they didn't have anything to play in that spot before and i think this is gonna like i, I can't imagine you don't want this in your thought monitor decks in historic like it, it just has to be i don't think you want i think you want this in your thought monitor decks in modern yeah yeah i think that's very possible but i but i think it's just like definitely a shoe in in the lower powered yeah for sure i i think it's so we've mostly been talking about this as a springleaf drum kind of card but it also has that channel ability mm-hmm. which is really good like I, I just want to emphasize that yeah like this card is playable on its face value 
and then you get like kind of a removal spell for free it's mm-hmm. not a real removal spell because your opponent can just like draw it the next turn but that added flexibility on an otherwise useless second copy yeah using up their draw step in- instead of having another artifact that at this point in the game doesn't do anything like that's a big difference when you are playing a deck like that's one of the the worst parts of the thought monitor type decks is you get to a point in the game where you're like all right if i draw thought monitor like i'm good to go i'm gonna win the game here but your deck is also half like garbagey artifacts to make the thought monitors work especially in historic where you can't get away from just like kind of bad cards yeah, so this is the problem I have with the Reality Heist, which is a card, another card I'm going to read while we're on this subject. Well, we're just kind of doing this whole package here, yeah. Uh, this is a 5UU instant with Affinity for Artifacts. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and you look at the top seven cards of your library. You can reveal up to two artifact cards from among them, put them in your hand, and put the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. So on its face value, this card does look good. Like, it gets really cheap if you're an artifact deck. It goes down to two mana. You look at the top seven cards, it's a lot, and then you get two artifacts, which is presumably what you want to do because, you know, you're an artifact deck. The problem I have with this card, like you were just talking about, (laughs) is that you don't really actually want artifacts Mm -hmm. after you've got a bunch in play. Right. Because at that point, you've devoted your early turn to just putting artifacts in play. So you have a lot of stinkers, a lot of clunkers in your deck. And all your payoff cards, or most of your payoff cards, are not actually artifact cards. Yes. Like cards like Urza, Urza, Sai, Emery, all that stuff, those aren't artifacts. Even Urza Saga is like one of the main payoff cards now, and that's yeah, not that's an, an artifact. enchantment. Yeah. Yeah, so this card only makes sense if more than the enablers in your deck are artifacts. So if you are artifacts and Nettlesys thought monitor and some other probably at least one more payoff artifact and you have like four of each of those or something like that then i could be convinced like okay as long as we're like really really good at the making cheap artifacts game which i don't know if the math can ever quite work out in your favor that way you you have to have really big asterisks on your thought monitor as a payoff yeah true you have so many slots devoted to getting artifacts into play (laughs) and then like drawing those after you play your payoff card. Yeah, that's like that's Thought fair. Monitor is good because a lot of those decks payoff is is cranial plating or something like that, mm-hmm. where you it cares about the artifacts you have in play and then you win the game very shortly afterwards. Sure, but in the slower uh, like Yorion Urza decks that you see in, in modern sometimes, so you usually play Thought Monitors, uh, but you never want to draw artifacts with them. You actually just want to draw your colored cards yeah, pretty much one hundred percent of the time. Right. Yeah. I so I think that. In modern, like, I'm not big on this card because it's just not really how the artifact decks... And the artifact decks in modern are still a little lost right now, I think. I don't think that we've figured they're, out... They're trying to find their way. Yeah, and I don't think this... I think that this doubles down on the problems of those decks. It's more or less, like, a bad Urza where, like, Urza is already, like, straining the deck and is powerful but difficult to support at the moment without mox opal and astrolabe basically and i think this is kind of a similar thing the place that i do kind of see a little more hope for this is in the the historic artifact decks because your payoffs are thought monitor and nettle cyst and and one of the places that i really see those decks struggle is against the control decks that are just kind of able to one for one your stuff that matters and then they just like kill you 
but this thing digging for more thought monitors and nettle cysts, which are the main ways that you kill those decks, uh, would actually make a difference. Can I talk about, um, I think this card's called Anchor Reality. It's in French, it looks like. Yeah. Uh, so this is a, a 2UU sorcery. As an additional cost to cast it, you have to sacrifice an artifact or a creature. And then you can search your library for an equipment or a vehicle, put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle. And if the mana value of the cards you grabbed is less than the mana value of the cards you sacrificed, you scry two. Finally, we have natural order for vehicles and equipment. And also with extra scry text just because it didn't have like it makes a card more powerful to put that scry text on there but how often is it going to be relevant and also like it really uglies up a, what could be like a, a kind of clean card so i think it'll be relevant more often than like never mm -hmm. because there's been a lot of games where i've tutored my library for an artifact card like whatever artifact card i wanted and it just so happened that like no artifact would save me, so I get Mistress Wobble. <laughs> yeah, just gotta draw this card. Yeah, I mean, how many equipments and vehicles just draw you a card though? Like, you just put this card in your deck to get Culture complete. If you're putting this card in your deck, yeah, and that's one of the things people are saying about it. Uh, also, Alan said you, oh, he's gonna make a Parhelion two deck, which is the eight mana vehicle from the horse. So the problem park. with Parhelion two <laughs> is that you also need to crew that thing, and it doesn't come with anything to crew it with. No, it doesn't. But so the Cauldron Complete is like the the thing you're getting, but that limits you to modern because it's the only format Cauldron Complete's legal in, mm -hmm. and I guess Legacy. But let's be real, that's not happening. But this card just seems terrible it's four mana that's so much mana yeah and it's not i mean like a car, uh, you're jumping through so many hoops to do a job that, that stoneforge Stone mystic, mystic already does. does yeah we already can tutor culture complete out of our deck and cheat it into play for the way better card that's not yeah. nearly as vulnerable to your opponent just having counter spell right and also doesn't require you to have an artifact have a deck with enough artifacts that you're happy to sacrifice you could have a bunch of creatures instead uh, yeah i guess that doesn't sound great it's either flexible how many every creature in modern is like will end the game if your opponent doesn't kill it so killing it yourself to get out like a better creature that will end the game like probably is fine in some games but i could also just attack keep attacking with my ragavan or whatever yeah so this this card stinks and i'm tired of people saying that like this is the way to get cauldra which I mean, you can get Cauldra, but you're not gonna. Yeah. Not with this card. There aren't. There also aren't any other options, right? Like, there's nothing else that you you get with this. It, like, what? Uh, unless your deck is like Stoneforge Mystics and this, and so you can fit Batter Skull and a sword, and, and it's just like, I don't know. Doesn't and we're not throwing seem... the new Tezred in there to reduce the cost of all our equip cards. Or we're just we're playing just... Fervent Champions, like whatever. <laughs> I no no unless there's some crazy vehicle they spoil between now and friday that is just so expensive and powerful that this card is playable i just don't see it i mean you know i'm down to run a league with this in a fervent champion deck but i don't think it's going to be good are you really playing a fervent champion deck without stoneforge mystic or are you just committed just, to being just guy it's just three colors it's fine whatever all right gotta get out the rogren triumphs with my eight one drop deck you just need one rogren triumph in there it's fine you just fetch it when you need it <laughs> all right i'm, I'm off with this <laughs> yeah no, enough artifact cards well i'm sure we're gonna hit more as as we go through what else should we talk about we can we can finish up the planeswalkers with uh tamia yeah 
Yeah, which has a keyword. <laughs> That's so weird. It's two, a green, a blue, and a Phyrexian hybrid green-blue mana. It has five loyalty and the completed ability, which is that the hybrid mana can be paid with green, blue, or two life. If life was paid, this Planeswalker enters with two fewer loyalty counters. So either this is plus one, tap up to one artifact or creature. It doesn't untap during its controller's next untap step. Minus X, exile target non-land permanent card with mana value X from your graveyard. Create a token that's a copy of that card. Minus seven, create Tamiya's Notebook, a legendary colorless artifact token with spells you cast, cost two less to cast, and tap, draw a card. It's got like a defensive-ish plus one and then a an expensive minus. You can use the defensive-ish plus one to get up to the ultimate, which is, you know, shatterable, which is kind of weird. But <laughs> Yeah, that is weird. I actually really like this card, and I don't know how much of that is like me liking the aesthetic of it mm -hmm. versus remembering how playable uh tammy of the moon sage was mm -hmm. because this does have very similar tammy of the moon sage vibes five mana five loyalty planeswalker where you plus one and just lock some stuff down you get all really quickly or four mana for three loyalty i think most of the time you want to be playing this on five mana because it's two it gives you two turns of loyalty mm-hmm I'm sure you can sneak it down earlier if that's like a concern. I mean, it, it's just nice to have that flexibility where it can be either yeah. of those turns. Like that, that's nice. But the the play pattern of just five mana loyalty, five mana planeswalker, tap down your thing, tap down your thing, then ult. Mm -hmm. That's two turns of having a planeswalker. That's really strong. The ultimate's pretty good, even though it is shatterable. I don't know how many shatters are, are flying around in alchemy and. That which is mostly the, the only format I see, expected to see play in. Yeah, and that's kind of backbreaking if the notebook can't die, making all your spells super cheap and drawing your extra cards so you can cast them. Yeah, for sure. And, and normally I don't like evaluating planeswalkers based on their loyalty, but since Tamio can do it so quickly and mm -hmm. has a really good job, like a, a really good defensive plus, yeah, it seems viable too. Right, because this isn't just like. I mean, it is mostly like keep a creature from attacking me next turn, but it also, you know, has other application where you can use it to get through and hit their planeswalker if you're in a mid-rangey sort of mirror, and also she doesn't get attacked by it. So it's like deceptively strong tapping a thing and it doesn't untap. It does that kind of frost titan thing where on your turn, like two of their things will be tapped down from it. So like really hard to block against this as well. So that that is sometimes relevant i think the main downside of of tamio is that she's green blue mm -hmm. which is a really difficult color combination historically has only ever been like degenerate ramp decks or combo decks yeah yeah and i i think like definitely is not a green blue deck in alchemy or standard right now I think if there is one, it's because, like, you've decided this card is good and you're trying to maximize it and you're playing, like, mana guys and whatever to try to get her out early and then... Or something. I don't know exactly what this, but some sort of mid-rangey deck with some counter spells or whatever and some extra mana and then she's how you way out card them through the game or something like that. She has a really good value. Like, her minus X ability is pretty good mm -hmm. if you are playing a traditional like mid-range game you get to rebuy your permanence yeah you want to have some like really good threes in your deck that like get you value yeah the, the problem is i mean uro is banned like most of the blue green cards 
they don't work blue and green don't work super well together mm-hmm. so a lot of them are just like traditionally you're you either have these busted simic cards they printed in the last couple of years oka or uh, hydrid graces that just like go so over the top of everything or you're like building to this insurmountable end game like nexus of fate kind of was mm-hmm. uh tammy just doesn't really do anything like that she just is a mid-range card <laughs> and a color combination that doesn't do it particularly better than most other color combinations yeah but she is a pretty solid mid-range threat especially if you have cheaper planeswalkers in your deck too the fact that you can cast her on five and like bring back a four mana planeswalker and then do that is like kind of cool but then you can, that if, leaves her if at you're... one loyalty which is not ideal I mean, if you're planeswalking it up like that too, you can also cast her on four, mm-hmm. which is super cool. If you're, if you need to be on the board every turn, yeah, casting her on four and then getting her uh, freeze ability online earlier, true, uh, can swing the game for you as well. Yeah, definitely. So I don't really know what deck, and and so another weird thing about alchemy and standard, if that exists right now or whatever, is that standard has been so dominated by a very small handful of decks so just like a lot of the cards that are legal and standard are not really in my head because they haven't been relevant because they haven't been in mono green mono white or blue red epiphany <laughs> so I, you know i don't have as much context because i'm not thinking about the cards in standard slash alchemy that would go along with this card because they weren't really playable you can bring back yeah, in a seeker's chariot with her minus and you can also copy the cards she gets back with her minus with a Seekus Chariot. Oh, wow. Yeah. Because she brings it back as a token. Yeah, so your Seekus Chariot makes two wolves when it attacks. Or, or two, if you bring... two cats, I mean. Yeah, or, or if you bring back a... I don't know, what's a, what's a card in standard you could bring back? <laughs> uh, I don't know, I'm blanking completely. What is a card in standard? Uh, werewolf Pack Leader? Like, if you bring sure. back a Werewolf Pack Leader... <laughs> you can make a bunch you of... You can then copy it with a Seekus Chariot. It becomes really easy to trigger your werewolf pack leaders at that point. Yeah, then you're drawing a bunch of cards you don't even need to ultimate her. <laughs> probably just kill with Tamiya's freeze ability while you're winning combat with your Seekus Chariot that's gone completely unmatched <laughs> somehow. I So the fact that she can bring back a Seekus Chariot is like really sweet. That's a very good turn. How does a Seekus Chariot die? Well, if it doesn't die, then you're fine, right? Okay, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> usually i'm used to the cats dying and you just like have to struggle to crew it i yeah true i I think killing the chariot a lot of times is like what you have to do index with other creatures so like tamio i don't know like a mid-range azika's chariot tamio deck is like not upsetting like you have to run a lot of other creatures obviously but the the idea behind it you know there's something there yeah this could be like a a light splash in a green deck Mm -hmm. i could see that pretty easily yeah like it's only one blue mana yeah yeah, and I mean, Faceless Haven is banned in Standard, so might as well. Yep, might as well. This is the Planeswalker I, I'm most interested for, for Constructed for them from this set. Yeah, I think it's a cool card. I really like that minus X ability. That's just like, makes the Planeswalker feel like it just has a big range of like stuff it can do. So I, I just kind of like the design there, and it's compelling. I also like this is a Phyrexian Mana card that, you know, has some downside. <laughs> yes, yeah, makes a lot of sense here. And also paying the Phyrexian cost doesn't remove the color requirements from the card, which I think is yeah. a very important part of the design. Classic part of Dismember is playing it in my in my green-white deck. You're, you're like, effectively colorless Tron deck. Like, Yeah. <laughs> uh, what else should we talk about? I have pulled up Reflection of Kiki-Jiki slash Fable of the Mirror Breaker, because I think this card okay. is sweet. Read it for me. This is 
So the sagas in this set mostly do they all do this flip thing? I believe they all every single one that I've seen and it's like over 20. Okay. Do the flip thing. So all of them on chapter three, you exile it and then you return it to the battlefield transformed and it'll be transformed into an enchantment creature, often like something from the history of Kamigawa or the lore or something like that, sort of like a an idea of it. So this Saga is Fable of the Mirror Breaker. It's two and a red. Chapter one, create a 2-2 red goblin shaman creature token with whenever this creature attacks, create a treasure token. Chapter two, you may discard up to two cards if you do draw that many cards. Chapter three, exile it and transform it. It has one, it's a 2-2 enchantment creature goblin shaman that has one tap. Create a token that's a copy of another target non-legendary creature you control, except it has haste. Sacrifice it at the beginning of the next end step. I think there's a little too much clunk here to make this like a card that you can put into your your decks, especially because the way that the chapter threes work is that you exile the card and then it comes back transformed. So you can't copy anything the turn this comes back. Yeah, it's summoning sick. Yes. And also, you know, it has that activation cost so you can never kill them. You with can't pestermite it up. Yeah. But I, I do think these cards are really cool. And this is like trying to give you enough value to be worth three mana but i don't know what kind of deck you would use this in but it is a really easy way to discard some cards alongside a bunch of value and sometimes that's just like good enough to make a card playable i don't think this gives you enough for what it costs mm -hmm. like it's it's a three mana gray ogre that on your next turn if you get to attack with it which is not guaranteed then you get a treasure that's a little not enough for three mana for Yeah, me. that body is pretty pathetic from the chapter one. Because your your other stuff from that enchantment, like the, the saga, the uh, rummaging, whatever, uh, the, the reflection's not that good. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I'm I, I'm not... I, I think it just costs too much for what it gives you. Probably. It just, like, moseys along way too slowly at what it does to, to actually get right. there. The time is a big cost for these sagas. Mm -hmm. Like, the... The three mana ones don't go off until what turn five, turn six. Yeah, well, That's, turn five, so, but then the creature is summoning six, so it really doesn't do anything until turn six. Until turn so. six. That's so slow, so slow. Yeah, so that, I think that kills a lot of these for uh, competitive constructed play. There are some of them I do like, though. Looking at all the sagas, I think Azusa's mini, mini Journeys is an interesting one. Mm -hmm. It's one in a green. Chapter one, you can play an additional land this turn. Chapter two, you gain three life. Uh, chapter three is the flip one. And it's a 3-3 three, three enchantment creature that whenever it becomes blocked, you untapped three lands you control. I don't know how often people are going to be blocking <laughs> the creature, but <laughs> it, it is an explore variant mm -hmm. where and instead of drawing a card, you gain some life and then get a 3-3 three, three to play. Yeah. Which is better or worse in different scenarios. Yeah. So it's like a... like really awkward and bad arboreal grazer but still like that effect was so powerful that maybe in a slower format than the two man x like, two man acceleration is like kind of hard to come by this isn't quite like just a, an additional land drop with no card draw and, and doing it on turn two is like really not guaranteed to actually get you anywhere because not only do you need to have the additional land on this turn you need to have the additional land on the next turn for it to have done anything but it does give you the three three so, so, yeah i can see it uh, also teachings of the kirin which is another two drop green enchantment green saga 
Uh, chapter one is mill three cards, make a one one colorless spirit creature token that it does not have flying. A bunch of the spirit tokens in Kamigawa just are one one ground founders. I like that the since we have the artifact enchantment dichotomy, we have two separate one one colorless no ability tokens in this set because there's one one artifact constructs as well. Okay, I didn't realize something made constructs. That's there's definitely like at least one or two things that makes constructs, and I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah, one one colorless spirits is a a long standing tradition of Kamigawa. Mm-hmm. If you remember Forbidden Orchard, uh, that makes one one colorless spirits. There's like several cards in the original Kami block that does it. Promise of Boonrai. Yeah, Gate to the Reke. There's a lot. There's a lot of them. <laughs> so chapter one, you just mill three and get you get one of those spirits. Mm-hmm. Uh, chapter two is you put a plus minus one counter on a creature you control. That is the most underwhelming chapter. <laughs> Uh, but then when you flip it on chapter three, it's a one-one enchantment snake monk that whenever it attacks, Kieran touched Orochi attacks. You choose one. You can exile a creature card from a graveyard. If you do, you make a spirit token. Uh, or you can exile a non-creature card from a graveyard. And if you do, put a plus one's counter on target creature you control. Uh, kind of like the scavenging ooze. Not scavenging ooze. What's the the, the raptor? <laughs> Death Gorge Raptor? Death I can't Gorge Scavenger. The card anymore. Scavenger, yeah, yeah, there we go. Kind of like one of those on a two drop. <laughs> but it's not a creature right away. It's, uh, it's a little slow. Right. It, it also it doesn't attack until the turn that a Death Gorge Scavenger oh, could attack. Oh, that's true. I keep, I keep forgetting about the, the summoning sickness part. Even though I know it's part of the card, I always forget about it when I get to chapter three. Yes. Yeah, yeah it, it actually can't attack until turn five, right? So that's... It's pretty pokey, but you did only pay two mana for it, so it could easily fill in, you know, it could be the right choice for some deck just because, you know, if you don't have good things to cast on turn two, like, it could kind of make sense for that. I think the only saga that I really like is uh, Michiko's Reign of Truth. That's probably the most playable one. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's one and a white. Chapters one and two are both the same. Uh, it's target creature gets plus one plus one until end of turn for each artifact and or enchantment you control. So it's kind of like a the enchantment from Throne of Eldraine. Mm. Can't remember the name of. Well, in Kamigawa, Minchiko's Reign of Truth. In the Throne of Eldraine, I don't remember what it's called. <laughs> it's a, it's an aura that does the same thing. All that glitters. Yes, all that glitters. Yes. So it's an all, it's an all that glitters on chapters one and two. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. Yes. And then chapter three, it transforms like all the sagas do. And it's a zero zero enchantment creature, human noble, uh, that just gets plus one plus one for each artifact and enchantment you control. So it's a nettle cyst to germ on the back half. Mm-hmm. And this is just good in the places nettle cyst or all the glitters is, basically. Yeah. It's just more of that card. Yeah, a little tough to replace all the glitter because you have to take a turn off from having an all the glitters with this thing just like we've been talking about with the well, other ones yeah it, it's kind of weird because it's it, <laughs> all the glitters and this card both have like the haste thing mm-hmm. where it has its effect immediately but the advantage it doesn't have one advantage over all the glitters is that it's not susceptible to removal right and like you can put it on multiple different creatures for chapters one and two, and then it becomes a thing later on. Yeah, and you can't even disenchant this to stop a pump. Like you can't ruin a combat by killing it or anything like that. So yeah, yeah. I mean the the fact that because the way that all the glitters gets dealt with most often is the creature gets killed, and that's a big downside to an aura generally. So I could see 
this being the replacement just because it's safer and like to all that glitters attacks is often enough to win the game anyways and if this goes on like yeah you take a turn off but then you get a standalone threat and i don't i don't think Michiko's reign of truth replaces all that glitters like per se mm-hmm. i think it's mostly just going to be played alongside it uh, and maybe maybe it is does end up like replacing it in some numbers in the nettle systex and historic yeah i think if you don't have aura synergies like you probably want to take a hard look at this as you know lightening up one of your weaknesses when you would be playing all the glitters otherwise but you also it also lessens dependency on nettlesis too where you can play the, the all the glitters and mitchko's reign of truth and still have loris mm-hmm. that's true that's true uh another kind of like I mean, this card explicitly demands that you be playing auras, so probably goes better with all the glitters rather than this card. This is Light Paws Emperor's Voice. I don't know. This is a very strange design. And and I think, like, strange because it has text that's, like, really trying to not give you the same experience every time, despite the fact that it probably will do that regardless. <laughs> One and a white for a 2-2 Fox Advisor Legendary. Uh, whenever an aura enters the battlefield under under your control, if you cast it, you may search your library for an aura card with men value less than or equal to that aura and with a different name than each aura you control. Put that card onto the battlefield attached to Light Paws, Emperor's Voice, then shuffle. So it like seems like it's bending over backwards to be like, ooh, you can't get this one. You already have it in play. But I assume your deck is constructed so you have like a couple of auras that you would be fine getting all of them onto the same creature and killing them with that creature so it's just you know trying to be the same experience every time so i had i had to read this card like six times where i could figure out what it does mm-hmm. so it just in case anyone missed like what exactly light pause does from your <laughs> rundown it's whenever you cast an aura yes you get another one from your library with the same or less cost so if you get if you cast a pacifism you can go grab vigilance i guess yes. which is an aura from kamigawa block <laughs> <laughs> but you have to pick an aura that you don't already have on the battlefield and then it goes on to light pause so it has to be you can't do like the the Talowisp thing like you're not getting face fed you're not getting removal auras with it you're only getting pump auras for this creature specifically so all of your work can get undone by killing by them killing this creature but it does have the sideways Talos thing where you can cast like on thin ice or whatever mm-hmm. and grab an aura for light pause if that's what you want to do. Yeah. I don't know. It's it's like kind of dangerous text. If you cast, you know, the, the turns with like black white auras and historic where you like cast SRAM and then cast two auras and draw several cards and you just kind of go from there like they die. And this doesn't quite go off in the same way, but it's like really consistent if you have the auras. You're not just drawing cards, you're putting auras from your deck onto this, ideally making it an unstoppable machine. Uh, so if that like engine exists, like this could be really powerful. If you like play this, cast two auras, whatever they are, even if they're dead weights or whatever, and then you just like make this some gigantic unstoppable thing. Yeah, like this being a good backup in the like SRAM auras deck is nice because you can cast like even just one mana auras, mm-hmm. you can cast Griff Spoon and then go grab the the escape one. I don't remember the name of the one that gives vigilance. Yeah, like that. That's perfectly reasonable for just you know light pause giving you a free card. Yeah, and then every time, like even if you just had 
the vigilance one in your graveyard like you can just cast that and you can get another you can get a griff spoon or whatever out of your deck or dead weight well probably not you dead can't weight, you don't you want to attach it to life get the dead weight right <laughs> this just has some application in, in decks like that and can give you like a pretty dangerous level of consistency potentially yeah i think this card's probably a little better than sram in like doing your a game plan mm -hmm. which is you know assembling a big creature and then helping you smooth out draws with uh, removal if you're doing that. Yeah. Because it's a lot more consistent than drawing cards. Well, and I mean, I think the deck now having like 12 of that effect as opposed to 8 is like really good for that deck. You can just know that you're going to have it every single time and have, you know, the sec the backup if they kill the first one. It's spooky. Yeah, I, I didn't think about this in the context of like that sort of deck, but you're right. Maybe it's because it took me so long to figure out what it did. <laughs> That's fair. It is a thick text box. Can I talk about Lion Sash? Yes. Yeah. This card is the closest thing to a guarantee that I think we've seen. So this is an excellent card. It's a one and a white equipment creature, equipment cat, artifact creature, equipment cat. Uh, it's a one, one with the ability of white, pay a white. Exile target creature card from a graveyard. Target, excuse me, target card from a graveyard. If it was a permanent card, you put a plus one plus one counter on Lion Sash. And it has reconfigure two. So you can pay two and it stops becoming a creature and is mostly an equipment and you can attach it to another creature. And the equipped creature gets plus one plus one for each plus one plus one counter on Lion Sash. Yeah, so it's doing this, like, scavenging use impression. doesn't have the life gain. It's a little bit smaller, but it's way more flexible because you can attach it to a thing. Uh, you also get the counters for any permanent, so hitting fetch lands gives you plus one, plus one counters. So this can get very, very big. And you can... I think Mishra's Bobbles against a Luris deck yes. gives you counters. This is really good against Luris decks. Really good in Luris decks for the mirrors. Really good on a Luris when you want to attack and gain infinite life, you can stoneforge for it. This card's just really good. It, yeah, it works with all the artifact equipment stuff. Mm -hmm. It It's just really, really good. Oh, yeah. Especially in Luris decks with Stoneforge Mystic. You can just tutor for proactive graveyard hate that also kills your opponent. Yeah. It is vulnerable to both creature removal and artifact removal, but... You know, you just keep that in mind and you use it when you have a couple extra mana to get the things that you want to get. And then they do have to kill it or else it will kill them because it gets very big very quickly. Yeah, it's just like Scavenging Ooze. Like, you can't let Scavenging Ooze alone forever. Mm -hmm. And this one's even a little more dangerous than Scavenging Ooze because you can throw it in on an Ornithopter and just fly over the battlefield. Yeah, I, I mean, and I think it's also... You know, there are, there are matchups where Scavenging Ooze becomes a 4-4 and then you have trouble, like, finding more creatures for it to eat. And the fact that this thing eats fetch lands and stuff, I think it's just like, oh, this is just a lethal threat all the time. Yeah, that's fair. It, it does outpace Scavenging Ooze quite quickly. Uh, it doesn't have the incidental life gain of Scavenging Ooze unless you do put it on a Luris or a Vault Scourge or something like that. Uh, and, and that was a reason, like, you know, you'd sideboard in scavenging use and the matchups for gaining a few points of life would be the difference between winning and losing but it doesn't make this card any worse in the matchups that it's good in so i, I yeah i think lion sash is the the clear slam dunk here mm -hmm. alongside the the moon snare prototype yeah that one's not nearly as like broadly applicable as lion sash is right 
but I, I feel confident it'll see play. Whereas Lion Slash is just, I think, a very good card. Yeah, I think that this card is just going to see a ton of play in a lot of formats. Um, there's a whole cycle of five mana sorceries that cost four of a single color. So yes, there are. Although a bunch of them have like kind of like pretty exciting text, it's so hard to see where they would get used. I did see, and this is like convincing to me. I saw like a a post about how they were cool for commander because they were rewards for being you know in commander you have like huge incentives for being a lot of colors and these are rewards for being a little more uh judicious in just sticking all of the colors and you know being a four color commander or whatever that's cool i i'm into that but if that is really the point then boy commander sets do feel like a good place for cards like these yes and no i i so i agree with the point that it's really good to give monocolor commanders an incentive but i don't agree like commander drives sales so you would want every set to have commander cards in mm-hmm. it. like i don't i don't think it's acceptable to just push off all the commander stuff into from a business perspective yeah all the commander stuff into just commander products sure so i'm i'm fine with this if this is their like shot because these quad color <laughs> monocolored cards are absurdly uncastable so if they want to have like all right your monocolored commander card gets powerful spells that i, I actually think that's good mm-hmm. and fine the problem i have with these is they're just not that good <laughs> like if that's their stated goal if that's their intended goal it doesn't work like the blue one invoke whatever it's in chinese i believe so I don't know the name of it, but this is a one quad blue, so five mana total for a sorcery. Gain control of target artifact or creature, untap it. Yeah. <laughs> that is control magic, it's, which has been printed. It's persuasion, right? Yeah, it's persuasion, yeah. sure. Which is way more castable and just does most of the card. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. Confiscation coup saw a lot of play, you know gain control this is that is also like in a tricolor deck artifact or creature yeah that's how i play in a tricolor deck because it was three uu also the tricolor deck had perfect mana these these are tough also to note and i somebody pointed this out and it is kind of horrible but it is a whole cycle of cards that cost one color 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 and they have invoke in the name which recalls invoke prejudice oh prejudice that card with I didn't even literal kkk that. members on the art that cost one u u u u famously so it is kind of weird that this exists it's clearly just because of a complete oversight and they just like didn't realize it but oof like this is th- this is one of those things that you're at work you do it and then like it pops up and somebody on twitter has realized it and you like see the tweet and you just have an absolute heart attack because you're like oh my god i can't believe we missed that yeah that is that's not a great look, but <laughs> I didn't even think about that until you said it. Uh, like the the red one is pretty cool, honestly. The one quad red instant instant is important. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could cast two instant and or sorcery spells with total mana value six or less from your graveyard and or hand without paying their costs. That's kind of cool. Yeah, uh, maybe it's capped at little low mana costs for me like i'm only getting a one mana discount if i'm using all of the card right but you know 
that's a little bit better than this effect has been around forever since alpha yeah at a cheaper cost i mean you can cast like a galvanic iteration and a four mana spell or something like that that's kind of cool then lose my galvanic iteration if it's not in my graveyard <laughs> yeah i guess that's true if you cast it from your hand it still goes into exile yeah Meh. yeah i don't know but yeah that that one does inspire some like ooh, i wonder what i could put together with this sort of things the problem is like it's just gonna be for commander like these cards are so prohibitively costed for any other format and even in formats where the mana is really good like modern they're just way too weak to play oh invoke calamity doesn't even work with galvanic iteration right you'd have to have an actual fork as the the copy spell that you use because the, they're both on the them. they're both on the oh, stack at, at the, the same, same time, time. Yeah, yeah, so you're right yeah you you'd need a twin cast yeah which is from Saviors of Kamigawa. <laughs> yeah. That all comes back around. Yeah, we're, we're making all the... There's like 800 cards in the original Kamigawa block, so... <laughs> Some of them are very good, or at least iconic, like Time Stop. So the white one, I actually... If it didn't cost one white, 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 I would be like... <laughs> See... If we can stop the sentence right there, that is the problem yeah, with these cards. For sure. It, well, but I'm saying, like, I don't think it's just, like, boy, the text isn't really exciting. Because, like, the text of this, to me, is way more exciting than a control magic. It's uh, return target permanent card from your graveyard to the battlefield, then distribute four plus one plus one counters among any number of creatures and or vehicles target player controls. So, number one, it returns anything, including, like, a Planeswalker. Whatever permanent is in your graveyard that you want back, you can get back. No cap on mana cost, no cap on permanent type. It can get back a whatever Planeswalker artifact or whatever. You know, I'm particularly enthralled with the idea of getting back a Hangerback Walker or a Walking Ballista with it and putting the plus one, plus one counters onto it. But any deck that I want to do that in is not going to be a mono white deck. And that just, like, really makes this tough to do. Because otherwise, it's like, ooh, this is, like, really similar to a Verderous Gearhulk effect. Like, that's a lot. But eh, white, See, white, white, one, white is so hard. This is the one, actually, the text box is really good on. Mm -hmm. But it's so much white mana. It's just... It's, like, more white mana than I want to have in my entire deck list. <laughs> it's just really hard to cast. I, I'm... I'm done with this cycle. We don't even have the green one yet. No idea what it does. It hasn't been spoiled yet. Do you have, see. Do you have another card you want to talk about? Um, I'm looking through anything. So I want to talk about Biting Palm Ninja. There's a cycle of these. Uh, we I only know about Biting Palm Ninja and the green one. Is a 2B33 human ninja with also ninjutsu 2 and a B. Enters the battlefield with a menace counter on it. Uh, when it deals combat damage to a player, you can remove a menace counter from it. And when you do, that player reveals that hand and you choose an online card from it and exile it. This is basically a 3-mana three 3-3 three, three with menace. And then when it connects, you can coercion them, thought seize them. But you can only do it once. So it like, encourages you to like ninjutsu it back to your hand and try again later in the game. Mm -hmm. and, and this card isn't phenomenal in gameplay like 3-3 menace that conditionally thought sees your opponent is kind of whatever like it's, it's not that great but the design on this card is so good i like this card so much the fact that you can have like an ability counter right and then use that specifically to do stuff is really appealing i don't like that it's tied to combat as much but it's i mean it makes sense for the set i wish they would do way, way more stuff like this in the future yeah one shot abilities 
I I think it is a little bit inspired by the Miosian of the original Ooh, set. That's a good point. Because those yeah. had divinity counters that made them indestructible, and then you use them to do a big effect. And I, I think this is like kind of a modern way of doing that on smaller creatures. But yeah, the, I really the like Mio it. Ninja. Yeah. Yeah. Ah. yeah. <laughs> I do actually think this card is like has a lot of potential because I think they've kind of gone out of their way to enable this like evasive blue black deck. Like uh I'm looking at Thousand Face Shadow, which is just like, oh, they want us to be able to build a constructed ninja deck because this is good enough to to make you want to do that. This is a blue mana for a 1-1 one, one flying ninja with ninjutsu to you you when it enters the battlefield from your hand if it's attacking create a co- token that's a copy of another target attacking creature the token enters the battlefield tapped and attacking so this both is a perfect enabler for ninja stuff and it's like an incredible payoff for successfully connecting and it also you can pick it back up you've used it as your ninja enabler and then once you've picked it back up it does like a really really powerful thing if evasive blue black creatures are good enough to get the job done against stuff like they have put some like pretty good ones in here notably thousand face shadow is so it's an agent who happens after blocks Mm -hmm. obviously yes but that means that the token you make that attacks with the thousand face shadow if it's a ninja for instance that that's gonna connect right so if you're copying you a get bite, biting palm ninja, then you get an extra thought seize out of it. You know, you get the three three. You can remove the token and thought seize, or you can remove the menace counter and thought seize them, and that's probably gonna get there. Yeah, I, I think thousand face shadow is really really good for kind of ninja strategy, mm-hmm. but I would want to see something like another good one drop that's evasive. There's a changeling in modern horizons. It's unblockable and can't block, like something like that. Yeah, I think. That there is... Oh, no. Actually, no. We haven't gotten any other one-drops yet, I don't think. So, in in blue-black that are like, yeah, that, that evasive one-drop thing that really enables the ninjutsu mechanic. But And and I would take like a like a 1-1 one, one menace, like a black menace equipment creature, just like a one-drop with slight evasion that has more utility. That'd be fine, too. Yeah, it feels kind of awkward that... So, there's a, a one-mana... There's like a pseudo one drop, but it's a saga. It's uh, a Kaiba Reckoner raid, and it's a black mana. Chapters one and two are each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. And then it's chapter three. It turns into a 2-2 menace with vehicles you control have menace. It's a uh, an Akira motorcycle themed card. Yeah, that's that's cute, but it's very slow for our perspective. Ninja yeah, it's deck. certainly we're trying to ninjutsu on turn two or three. Well, well, that's what I'm saying. It's kind of awkward that they put in a one drop that like specifically like is not enabling in black. That's not enabling ninjutsu stuff. But I mean, that's just it's that's just a common. So maybe there is another one drop coming up somewhere. Hopefully, I, it'd be neat to have the ninja deck be constructed viable because it's a really fair mechanic like it's got clear interaction points and it's got good rewards if you're willing to devote to it yeah i mean thousand face shadow is just so so encouraging it's so it's like such a strong draw to the archetype but really hard to make this card work in anything except for that specific archetype yeah isn't what other deck would want a flying man (laughs) yeah i mean it just needs to be exactly that yeah 
I guess the ninjutsu on it does require a lot. Like, maybe I am overrating that trigger a little bit, because you have to be attacking with two creatures, including one that you're willing to ninjutsu back to your hand, which is, like, maybe a lot to ask in Constructed. I think the but... idea is that if you are playing Thousand Face Shadow in your deck, mm -hmm. you're probably trying to enable ninjutsu in the first place. So you're going to have some stingers that just are designed to get through. Yeah. It's just tough to attack with two creatures and construct it is all can i talk about simeon sling oh yes definitely this is one of the very very first previewed cards uh it's a red mana artifact creature equipment monkey one one equipped creature gets plus one plus one because it's got reconfigured two and whenever simeon sling or the equipped creature becomes blocked you deal one damage to defending player this is it just a common but it's actually pretty good red one drop. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not Goblin Guide, heaven forbid. <laughs> but it's pretty solid. Like, a 1-1 one -one that does some damage and then has utility after that. Pretty good. Yeah, I could see it. If the red cards surrounding it at the moment are not good enough. But, True. like, getting okay one drops is often, like, the way that you get there. There's just, like, no... We we neither have Embercleave nor do we have good burn spells, and so it's like, what are we doing after casting our cheap red creatures? Yeah, this is that's one of the problems with like red aggressive decks mm -hmm. is you typically have to have either really good haste creatures like uh, on crop crasher mm -hmm. or just burn spells like Azeroth. <laughs> yes, yeah, I mean, so right, so there's there's a few ways that you can make the red deck like worth doing and those are like good burn spells and or like a solid suite of just good hasty creatures at like two and three mana or uh you know an ember cleave which just subsidizes everything and it shouldn't really it's kind of like a haste creature and a burn yeah. spell or you can have like a really good big four so like hell rider or Koth or Bat. Hero of Oxid Ridge oh. or whatever. Like there are, you know, there, there's a category of this card or Hazaret, as you said. And we're just like kind of missing like all of those things. You have like some okay cheap creatures that you can deal nine damage to your opponent pretty fast with, and then you just completely sputter out. Then you're just done. Yeah. Maybe they'll figure out what they want Red to do if it's not just like attack you. They haven't yet. <laughs> No, they uh, still not quite, especially like in standard right now, just do doesn't really have a spot except for like backing up the blue cards. Um, can we talk about some of the lands? I think that's kind of the last things I care to talk about. Sure. Because there's a, there's a cycle of legendary lands in this set that are all like the original Kamigawa block. There's one for each color. They come to play untapped, and they add a mana of their color. So, like, again, Joe adds for a white. I don't remember what the blue one's called. Odawara taps for a blue, and, and so on. Mm -hmm. well, I have four spoiled at the moment. I don't know what Iganjo does, but I do know what Takanuma, Sokenzen, Buseju, and Odawara do. I think we unofficially know what Iganjo does. Okay. It deals four to an attacking or blocking creature. For two and a white. Three mana? For three mana. Okay. Oh, and all of the so all of these lands have channel ability, <laughs> so they've you know you can discard them, pay some mana cost, and then do their effect. Like a Ganjo, yeah, 
Gideon's justices them. <laughs> like deals four to attacking creature. Or blocking. They, or blocking. Or blocking. Or blocking. <laughs> and they all get reduced by one for each legendary creature you control. Which is kind of irrelevant. Boy, that's a lot of text for not a lot of effect on a card. Yeah. Especially on like Bozeju, whose channel cost is, is one mana. and a green, and you just don't really need to reduce that. So I think Poseju is the the heavy hitter that we've seen so far. Yeah. Uh, this is, you know, legendary land attempts for green mana. Its channel is one and a green, discard it, destroy target artifact, enchantment, or non-basic land an opponent controls. That player may search their library for a land card with a basic land type and put it onto the battlefield, untapped, notably, then shuffle. And then ability costs one less for each legendary creature you control. So this is kind of like the assassin trophy of utility lands. I yeah, I guess so. I mean, like similar to assassin trophies text, but the the functionality of the card completely changed by the fact that it's just an untapped land. Yeah. So this is my point for a lot of the legendary lands. Not as much for Vasagi because the the channel ability is potent. But the one thing to keep in mind for like all of these lands is that they're just untapped colored sources. Yep. And that's really good. Yep. The fact that they are pure upside after that doesn't make like, you know, the red one, for instance, I think makes two one ones or whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, that's not great. I'm not paying four mana for that. But if it's on a land. Dude, yeah. That gets... If I'm like playing a mono red deck in standard, I'm just running a bunch of these. Yeah. Like, come on. Uh, Boseju is really flexible. Like it, it has the. There's a couple of weird things going on with this card. It basically gets anything you want that's not a creature or a planeswalker. But you give your opponent a land for doing so. And that land both comes to play untapped and can be a dual land. As long as it has a, a basic land type. So you can kill their uh, hardened scales. First enchantment that came to mind. And then they can just tutor up for a temple garden. Mm-hmm. Now that that one that specific one will come into play tapped unless they pay two life because that's what Temple Garden does. But in a deck like Legacy, uh, like lands, uh, I know Jarvis was talking about like this card in a lock. You can't really lock people out with a random six and Poseidon you because they can just keep getting their dual lands. Right. Although, in a long enough game, you know a lot of a, a lot, lot of decks game, only have six, six or anyway, seven right? mana producing lands in them in Legacy, so. Yeah. Like it, you can you can take all of their like, over the course of a couple of turns with like this and a wasteland, like you can get all of their Volks. You can get all the red sources out of their deck or whatever. Like you know, I, I, I think that that is actually kind of a a reasonable thing you can do if you're just like kind of in the mid game and you have a life from the loam and you just get back this and a wasteland and you play your wasteland and kill one of their lands that and, and do this and it's like oh no now they're out of volcanic islands like that's like not that hard to do no but i think it's i think this card is good mostly because it gets stuff your deck doesn't normally yeah. cover rather right. than you're trying to lock them right out. right i think mostly it's going to be killing artifacts and enchantments and like that's really really good to be able to do that with a land yeah, on a land it's very good like i think this this card does have a, a pretty big downside <laughs> like ramping your opponent in exchange for a disenchant is not a good trade typically unless that the thing you're disenchanting is really good yeah which yes you're going to be getting like 
their amulet or whatever with it. It you know, it, it's just got, like you're only going to kill things that are worth killing and otherwise you get to play this as an untapped land. And definitely in older formats having a single color producing land that is a non-basic so it gets blood mooned and stuff is like that is a cost. And luckily this card kills blood moon. This yeah, right, yeah. It, that's true. This does kill blood moon. So it's a it's a non-basic land that really doesn't weaken you that much against blood moon. Maybe it ups your percentage against it. Uh the, the fact that in those older formats you can life from the loam this back, rent and six it back, like that is really, really good. And then in smaller formats where you don't really get punished as much for non-basics, you can just like run a bunch of these. Yeah, I, I actually think the Ren and Six in modern uh, application is very overhyped mm -hmm. because you just don't have that much to target all the time and you don't want to be spending your mana two at a time to be killing their stuff right. while you're ramping them to play more stuff i think that's actually a losing battle and a lot of people are just presenting it as like this is what you can do you can just kill their thing every turn how can they possibly recover right. i think that only makes sense if they're a deck that relies on some specific group of artifacts and or enchantments and it's just like yeah i just eot killed their ravager and then i killed their thing that the ravager counters went on to it's like okay well, that that was pretty good but yeah i think generally but that's such a such a narrow yeah. band of decks and people are just not presenting it like that right right which has been very frustrating for me to read <laughs> yeah i don't think that yeah in modern Ren and Sixing this back or like building a life from the loam deck so you can do this is like gonna be particularly useful. I think in Legacy, just because like this, you slot one or two of this into lands and sometimes you'll just be like, oh shoot, I can just kill all of their lands between this and, and Wasteland with this uh, life from the loam. I, I think that could happen, but uh, yeah, I, I don't think it's the thing you're aiming for just like doing. I think it's just like your land slot now has a naturalize effect on it. And that's a really flexible thing to be able to do. Yeah, it is, this card's good. Not not like. I think it's more ubiquitous Lion Sash just specifically because it's a color. It's a, like a land. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. I mean, the all of the Zendikar Rising lands basically have seen significant play. So. And these are just those that come into play untapped. So, you know. So, so Besaichu has the most powerful text. Uh, the other ones are all, like, fine. Iganja is probably not very playable. But, I think Iganja is, uh, like, pretty good. Okay, really? Yeah. it's It kills some random... It's a land that you can run a couple of, yeah, and it just land. kills some random creature at some point when you don't want to play it as a land. Like, that's fine. I probably wouldn't want to play more than one. Sure. But, but that's just an option. It's fine. option, yeah. And maybe I'm evaluating them more through modern now because she's talking about Besaju, but yeah, I mean in standard, like you would easily run, like I don't, you definitely run like two of these, no problem. I don't see any reason not to if you're not doing Faceless Haven, which you can't anymore. I I actually really like the blue one, o Odawara. Mm -hmm. uh, this is same as the other ones, a blue land. Uh, it's got channel three in a blue, so four mana total, and discard it to bounce an artifact, creature, enchantment, or planeswalker to its owner's hand. See, this feels like way worse to me than like Iganjo. Mm, it's blue. I guess that's true. Like white is far worse than blue. <laughs> <laughs> like the effect is worse. I will grant you that, but the the land itself is is much better. Sure. 
I just don't like are you talking about for like older formats because like yeah for older formats so I mean my thinking a lot of time is like in like modern your island slots are like very important for not getting blood mooned you know you only have so a couple of slots for lands that only make blue mana so I'm not sure that this is enough upside to like replace any of those but I could be wrong I'm thinking of like a Renin 6 framework. I think this is the one of the better lands with Renin hmm. 6. Because it you can actually make some headway with it. Oh, that's really expensive. It's really though. expensive. It's really expensive. But Renin 6 kind of leads to these games where you have a ton of mana anyway. And so once you've reached because you're you're returning fetch lands every every turn. Yeah. And once you've reached the kind of that I'm so done playing lands, you can just you have so much mana to work with. Actually, I kind of love Ren and Six returning the red one that just makes two one ones. Two one ones, yeah, I like that one too. I actually think the red one is is quite yeah. good. It's like really good. I mean, they they also get haste, so that's we got some like Den of the Bugbear kind of uh, comparison here, and and I think that this finds a place when you're doing that sort of thing. What does the black one do? Oh, it's this is the it's mill three get a creature back. I think creature or planeswalker back. How much does it cost? Four. So three and a block? Yeah. yeah. It's not too bad. No. It raised dead on a land is pretty good. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that sees standard play. Like, absolutely. The fact that, Ooh. you know, this brings back Lear in a, like a way more reasonable way than Port of Carfell. You know, you know what card is really good that Takanoma brings back? Mm. Luris. Oh, that's, that's really true. I don't know how, how exactly you split up your like crypts of agadim or your uh, agadim's awakenings with this but yeah it is really similar sort of slot use yeah and it's a channel so you can use it at instant speed right if you've got like some of these lurus decks play torak or ragavan or something like that mm-hmm. that actually reduces the cost of the the channel yeah true there's a lot of random legendary creatures in these lurus decks yeah yeah no that that is really good just it, especially in the grindy games that are like entirely about like the Luris mirrors that the thought sees Luris mirrors always end up like who has the Luris at the end of the scrum. So having this as a way to get a Luris will definitely get you some points there. Yeah. I'm actually a huge fan of these lands in general. Yeah. They're just very good. They're untapped lands that have an ability on them. That's really powerful. Kind of stinks how the black one just makes like catapults Luris to more playable, but that's like well, every card that costs less than two mana. Luris will eventually <laughs> get banned. Like it just isn't going to last forever in modern. So we'll reach an equilibrium point where there's too powerful of a card pool. I, yeah, no, no, no. I mean, the stronger the format gets, like the more powerful Luris will be, honestly. Like it's it's only Luris is still banned in Legacy, right? No, it's legal in Legacy, but so are Ponder and and Brainstorm. I think one of the best things, or the only thing Luris does in Modern, is kind of make Black playable. Mm -hmm. Because it's not really outside of Luris. True. But I think that should be mostly fixed by printing some good Black cards. By non-Luris cards? (laughs) Perhaps we'll get some Uruk High in the Lord of the Rings set that'll really push black up to playability you don't think they'll be red i think orcs in general can be re- i think like certainly the the goblins in general orcs but the urukai are like black red at least i don't know too much of the the middle earth lore 
see i've read four of the books <laughs> the like the main four but i i couldn't it was so long ago i couldn't really tell you much of the world building well you know the meats back on the menu boys line is like that's pretty <laughs> black i would say uh how do they know what, what a menu is, is. <laughs> <laughs> we've been talking for a while anything else you want to nah, nothing in particular there's like a lot of out. cards there's definitely stuff that we've missed but we'll we'll get to it there's plenty of time yeah there's like several cards i like but i don't really think are worth mentioning yeah like the uh the voltron vehicle yes i mean that is not that may also be a commander slash casual plant i see i'm not a commander player but i do like that Mm -hmm. card it's really yes a vehicle that like combines a bunch of vehicles into a 10 10 it's pretty sweet. You will never activate that ability. I'd like put a sizable chunk of money down on you never activating activating that ability in your career in Magic. But okay, be careful. I've got Cube, mm-hmm. and I can just put this in and just keep playing it forever. Well, but yeah, it would have to be a a situation in which the bet existence didn't influence the results of the bet. Well, it might happen regardless. I don't well, like, think so. <laughs> you don't know how much I just love Mechs. I don't think Mech Titan Core finds a place in your cube yeah i don't either (laughs) it's just so hard to do yes and when you're not doing it it's a two cost vanilla two four art like vehicle with crew two that's not good it it doesn't even have the decency to have crew one it has crew two for a two four yeah i don't understand why this can't like at least have flying on it because like crewing a vanilla two four with two power worth of creature is just like why didn't I attack with my two power worth of creatures and not cast this card? <laughs> also, I've never seen a piece of Voltron that can't fly. It's It seems to be flying in the... I guess that has legs, but... Yeah, this one's walking. It's the head. Apparently, they didn't install the rocket on the head. Which would be funny to just I... see the head walking around on two skinny legs <laughs> like that. The, the arms have to, like, pick it up and put it in its place. Well, I'm really worried about this mech titan head just walking around these monsters like this. I don't I don't know if this is going to go that well for this 2-4. The other four just come flying in to do their jobs. And the head's just walking around these little robot legs. Guys, please come pick me up. I do not like <laughs> being down here like this. I will get there when I get there. <laughs> Yeah, we'll talk about more cards. I mean, I guess all these cards will be out, so our next episode it will be our top fives. But anything we miss that's particularly good will certainly be on those. Like the Savannah Lions? Oh, yeah. Wait, the Savannah Lions that's good at driving? Yeah, that's, I think, the only Savannah Lions in the set. <laughs> well, I mean, now between that and the Ox, we've got, like, a full... You know, you, you know how, like, you can play a deck if you have four of an effect, but you really want eight of an effect to, to really make it consistent. So now with the Ox, yeah. you know, we got got a lot of stuff that crews way bigger than it is. Can, if only there's some vehicles that they spoil between now and, you know, Monday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That make it worth crewing. <laughs> yeah, I don't know that we have any of those. Somehow I, oh. I don't see myself playing the the ox vehicle deck at any point no probably not i did play briefly a deck with plow in it in standard it was really yeah because you could crew it when you uh cast the front side of croxa you'd get a plow attack in oh sure (sighs) i don't like where this is going but i understand it look 
it was sweet but you know <laughs> it was a stepping stone on the way to better decks in that format i guess there's a cycle of legendary dragons we didn't touch on yeah it's fine we'll, we'll get them next time we've been talking for a long time they are all pushed about as far as a four or five mana four four flying that doesn't do anything when it comes into play could possibly be i don't know if that makes any of them playable though yeah and they also have a lot of words on them mm -hmm. we just read like four planeswalkers and some flip cards we have to stop sometimes. Uh, yes yes we, we can stop thanks everybody so much for listening we do really appreciate your time if you'd like to lend us some support head over to patreon.com slash mtg grindcast if you want to find us on social media i am tweeting at at ccr underscore grindcast lee is also on twitter i am at lee mccleo thanks so much and have a great week Bye.